Uh, Coach, this is normally we start the, the podcast off by asking when you first got to the varsity, you know, who who gave you your first butt kicking. But you played for three different schools. You're at three different schools. So you got some choices here. But who was the person that you remember that stands out that kind of gave you that welcome to varsity moment? Yeah. And like you mentioned, I, I was fortunate to move. We moved all over. Yeah. And so I played, you know, kind of young football in Florida. We make a move to Arkansas my junior year. I didn't get to play my sophomore year because our school didn't offer football. So we go to Arkansas, and I'm, you know, kind of fresh off the bus. We go to Greenwood, Arkansas. And if you know much about Arkansas football now, that was right around the time that Greenwood got really good. And so I'm 140 pounds, you know, lined up and kind of fish out of water. I mean, I, I don't fit in real well at this point. I don't know anybody. So first day in pads, we're doing some, I think it's kind of an angle tackle drill. You know, looking back on it, it was probably just an angle tackle, about right. 80%, not really wanting to go to the ground. Well, our guy who ended up being our All-State running back, Tatum Owenby, lines it up across from me. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. Uh, he had just transferred to Greenwood, so he's new too. So he comes running at me, and instincts kick in, and I make a cut, and he falls. So, of course, <laughs> you get, you know, 40 boys kind of ragging on him. Yep. So when the drill worked, you get in the next line and then you go against the next guy. It should be random people. Well, I look back there and he's literally counting. To, I'm like <laughs> eighth in line or whatever. And he's like moving guys out of the way so he could be eighth in line. And oh. he had the ball this time. And it's supposed to be an angle tackle. I'm like, this is probably not going to go really well. And not surprisingly, he weighed 210 pounds and I weighed 140. And he did not juke. He just ran directly at me, uh, and I fell down that time after he ran me over. So that was kind of my welcome to Arkansas football moment. And I always feel like I need one more boy. And one more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. And one more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. And one more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough. I'm just fine, I'm good enough. But you be told I need some therapy. Initially, ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy. All right, welcome back to another brand new episode of the Team Player Podcast. This is a special episode. This is episode number 50. Man, we I started this thing honestly just as just as a passion little project, having fun, talking to some of my coaching buddies, and here we are, 50 almost one year later. We have put out an episode once every week. So once we get to 52, that'll be our one-year anniversary. But this guest today is, is someone special. Team player podcast history, our first ever guest from Arkansas, from the great state of Arkansas. And also someone that I've, I've never had the pleasure of actually visiting with Coach with Coach before today. Honestly, I just I had a Facebook recommendation that this guy and I had a lot of mutual friends, a bunch of my coaching buddies. So I just connected on Facebook. And boy, am I so glad that I did because I see that he's just a wealth of knowledge. He's excellent connecting and networking with coaches and, sh and sharing his knowledge and love for the game. Please welcome to the show, Coach Kenny Simpson. Thanks for coming, Coach. Man, I appreciate it. That was a much better uh, introduction than I probably deserve. Honored to always get to talk ball. <laughs> Absolutely. If you're a part of this team player podcast movement, please make sure to take the five seconds to give us the five-star rating wherever you're listening. We've already got 47 on Spotify and 26 on Apple Podcasts, so not bad. You guys have done a good job, but let's keep it rolling. we got a bunch at the beginning. It's starting to slow down. So let's let's keep it rolling. Share, tell, tell a friend. Tell another someone who loves high school coaching and athletics, and, and, and I bet you they're going to love this podcast. That's what helps us grow. Uh, if you want to leave a written review, I do read those uh, on the show. So if you do that, please, please do hit the follow button to subscribe. And that way you'll get a new episode in your queue every single Sunday. Would be honored if the team player podcast made it into your rotation. I'm your host, James Kovaleski. Please follow me on Twitter at coach underscore Kovo. That's coach underscore K-O-V-O. All right, coach, let's talk about your early life. That's always where we start. Again, you and I are kind of just getting to know each other. I did a little Facebook stalking. And, I, you know, I saw on Facebook you said you're from Montgomery, Alabama. But I know you've been you've been lots of places. So just tell us to kind of where where were you in your early uh, early growing up days? Yeah, you know my father is Air Force. So I've always had a passion for military guys. I've got, I've got there. I'm one of five, so I'm the oldest. You know my parents are one of the beat the odds. They had me when they were 16 and 17. Yeah, usually yeah. that's not 
It doesn't always work out real well. My parents are still together. So always really cool to have that story and to watch them. You know, as a kid, I didn't know what I was watching. You're just a kid. But right. to watch them struggle through a lot of things you struggle with when you get married young with a kid young, a lot of odds stacked against you. Uh, my father is a Air Force guy. He's in Air Force forever. So if you know that life, that means you move. Right. And we moved early and we moved often. So I actually was born in Florida. I actually grew up in Italy for two or three years. I was oh, so wow. small, I don't remember it, but yeah, I can see it from pictures. Um, barely missed being an Italian. That's pretty cool. Like by six months, I could have been sure. dual citizen, dual but citizen, I'm not. Yeah. So anyway, then we moved all over, uh, young ages, you know, California, Texas, everywhere. Well, when I got to high school age, we'd kind of settled in, uh, we'd been in Arizona for a little bit and then we were in Florida. So got to play, you know, peewee ball up to about ninth grade in Florida and Florida, you can still play like peewee football or whatever they call it up to ninth grade. 10th grade year, I'm still in Florida. Uh, they don't offer football at my school, so, you know, play whatever they offer. Then we moved to Arkansas as a junior. And then my senior year, we moved to Tucson, Arizona for the first half and then moved back to Florida for the second half. So I had the honor of getting to play football in three different schools, which really kind of set the table for, I think, the wealth of experiences. You know, a lot of people that move a lot, you can be bitter or upset about that, or you can look at how much knowledge – an experience that I gained that other people didn't have the the opportunity Absolutely. to do. So I went to Harding University and met my wife. She's from Texas. So okay. we meet in Searcy, Arkansas. And then my early career, I'm coaching in Huntsville, Alabama. And then Montgomery, Alabama, became okay. a head coach at 27 in Montgomery. And then at about 31, our kids are getting old enough to go to school. So we kind of had to make a decision. Montgomery schools, there's a lot of great people there but it's kind of a rough area as far as the sure. schools are. Sure. So we wanted to get our kids back towards Arkansas. We were pretty comfortable, really enjoyed our time at Harding. Took the job at Southside Batesville. So Southside Batesville, I was the head coach for about nine or 10 years. Uh, then COVID hits, probably a lot of people, life changed when COVID hits, mine did too. I took a job at a 6A school as the head coach there in Searcy. And during that time, started writing books, producing materials, probably a lot of things. If you stalk me on Facebook, yep, you yep. found um, was going to pursue that full time. So I was going to get out of coaching and kind of pursue helping coaches, kind of a role reversal there. Right. We moved back to Southside. Uh, I'm just going to be the assistant coach. Our coach gets an opportunity he takes. So now I'm back to being the head coach. <laughs> so didn't really work out my plan, but uh, it's always an honor to lead kids. So I'm still I'm back to being the head coach. Southside Batesville uh, in Arkansas. Lots of, man, really cool background. I, I love the dual citizenship. I actually, I, I had dual citizenship for the first 18 years of my life. I'm actually half Japanese. You might not guess that by looking at my long Polish last name, but uh, I was born in Japan. My dad was in the, in the army. Um, and so I had dual citizenship. I had the two different passports, you know, <laughs> and everything. And at age 18, you know, they ask you to kind of renounce one. And of course, I'm a, a proud American. I've grown up here, you know, for the majority of my life. I was in Japan for one year, but um, I think that's really cool. So first of all, let's just let's unpack that part, coach. You got a unique background. I imagine that much moving can be traumatic. I pretty much went through one school system my whole life. But I know you talked about the good. You got to see lots of different cultures, but surely there was some difficulty with that, too. So did I'm just curious, how, the, the role of sports, did, did, did that really... Obviously, you, you love it. It's your passion. You know, it, it was it kind of searching for a home, you know, with, with your teammates in a new place? Was that a big part of your life as a kid? Or? It is. You know, I'm drawn to athletics. I'm a very competitive person. So yeah. I probably would have, if we played, lived in one place, I'd have played sports there too. So I don't know a sure. lot of that. I think the down part of moving a lot is, you know, it, forming lasting relationships is something that, you know, it's hard to do. You probably know that if you moved a lot. You know, I know that from moving a lot. And so, being comfortable to settle, I'm not real comfortable. You know, like that, I always want to be on the move. I want to be traveling. I want to be, a lot of that's my background. You know, my wife, very different, you know, was pretty much one school, her whole seventh or 12th grade. So we had to kind of find a nice balance there. Uh, but sports do play a huge role. You know, my, my children now are, are at the same school. They've been here pretty much for every little one year, little sabbatical to service yeah. but pretty much you know, been at the same school the whole year. They grew up with the same friends. They play the same coaches are comfortable. I had to prove myself. It felt like about every six months 
you know, I had to go in and prove who I was. That was the bad part. The good part is you got a fresh start every six months. And so kind of good and bad, but man, it's, it, it made me extremely driven to kind of feel like I always had to prove myself when I stepped on a court or a field. Like I don't, I, I enjoy what I do, but I didn't play for fun. I played to win. Yeah. And I think that came from that background. You know, one other thing I'm, I'm interested in just kind of looking at, at the geography here for people that don't know, for, just starting off here for, for Greenwood, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of cool location right there on the West side of the state. You know, I would say kind of in between Little Rock and Tulsa, maybe about two and a half hours away from each. And I heard you mention how good they were. And so for my listeners are mostly Texans and Houston area, just kind of just, it sounds like you, you were a part of a really good program as a player there. Yeah. I only got to do one year. You know, I played for Ronnie Peacock. So Greenwood at that point was a, a Ronnie Peacock. Decent, Did he yeah, return he, to Houston at some point? That name sounds I don't so know. I know he was a, a head okay. coach at a lot of schools in Arkansas. He played okay. for, uh, I think, with the preseason of the Steelers. So, I mean, he okay. had a really good yeah, background, yeah. played at Harding University. Uh, so, he was my coach. Uh, we, when we, when I got there, they were pretty good, but they, we won our first conference championship in a long time. Went to the state championship, which was the first time they had done that in a long time. Well, then, of course, I leave and move, but that was the start of a run for Greenwood there where, They've won now probably eight or ten state championships because I'm old now. But yeah, now they're every year that program is still good. So you're talking about 20, 25 years later, and they consider a bad year losing a state championship. So that's the kind of level that program has risen to. And I think he was a big reason that it took its first steps towards that. It was cool to be on the front end of that and watch it. And that really impacted my coaching, was I really felt led to take a school that maybe wasn't as good kind of the underdog role and try to bring them where they are. And so you said your was it the year after you left that they went to state? So you were, or, or did you actually, we went, we lost state championship lost state. junior okay. year. And then yeah, two okay. years later, they went back and won it. Did you, I've, uh, you know, did you, you could kind of see some of those championship habits forming at that time. Like you, you kind of felt like, man, we are just one step away. And like these, these kids below me, they're going to do it. Or did you, did you know that they'd eventually bring home that title? Well, I felt that way. I was a junior, yeah. you know, yeah. and I was kind of new there. So I had a whole sure, lot sure. of watching You know, I played yeah. a little bit, not much. Sure, sure. Our senior class was really good. And then you could look back at the sophomore group and go, that group is a special group. Right. Quarterback that year was a sophomore. So you kind of knew, yep. Yep. Hey, yep. this group's about to be special. And then, I'm a big fan of Coach Peacock. You could just tell he he was out coaching a lot of people back then. Yeah, and then and now with Batesville, again, it looks I'd say maybe an hour and a half or take give or take northeast of Little Rock. And you know my experience, I, I work now. I'm in sales with Dactronics, uh, scoreboard provider, and we just put a new video board at Conway. So that that's also you know kind of in your area north of of Little Rock there. And so Conway is what I'm familiar with, and that man, beautiful facilities there. And so. My first question is, I mean, do you ever run across those guys or, or how, just describe to us more for our Texas listeners, kind of what your league is like in Arkansas and, and, and who you're playing and what you're seeing? Sure. And, and I'm pretty familiar with Texas football. My wife uh, grew up in Forney area, so okay. I'm, yep. I'm pretty familiar with kind of that area of football. Uh, I would say if you look at Arkansas football in general, the top 16, 17 schools as far as enrollment, Texas has like 300 of those. I mean, it's just we sure. have quality football here, but most of our football would be considered a 3A level in Texas. You know, we're 5A in Arkansas. We have about 180 a class or so, kind of in that world, 150, 180 a class. And so we're going to roll out 10th through 12th graders around 50, 60 kids. Uh, that's that's smaller 5A in Arkansas, which probably be a 3A level school, I would imagine, in Texas. Quality is good, uh, yeah. but smaller numbers uh, and so we that's kind of where we are right now out at Searcy we were a 6a school so we had about 330 a class so in Texas that's probably what a low 4a I would imagine right yep. um, and then you're going to see you know for us the is just to me Texas has so many of them I think right. the quality is good in Arkansas but there's not you know 70 schools that are these huge massive schools we have about 16 schools that are kind of in that world and it sounds very similar to Oklahoma. My, you know, my brother's a, a defensive coordinator at Kiefer, Oklahoma, outside the Tulsa area. And I believe at their 6A level, maybe it's 16 teams make the playoffs or something. It's, I'm assuming it's basically everyone makes the playoffs. It kind of sounds like in Oklahoma. Is it the same for you? Or 
Uh, not quite, you know, not quite. I, I think we have like, a, we're five S's, there's 32 teams and five yeah. That's all we have, half yeah. make it. So you got to be in the top go. half to make it. And then another thing I'm interested in, you know, talking uh, with Sean Maloney, who's from Michigan, and then my brother, who's from Oklahoma, they have conferences. Like my brother's a part of a thing called the Tulsa 7. I think this part is so cool. Because as you know, in Texas, the UIL just divvies out districts. So, you know, it's 18-6A, 19-6A, 26A, whatever, you know, we're assigned. This is so cool to me. His Tulsa 7 conference, it's comprised more geographically than by size. And so you, you also have an assignment by size, but you, you have those historic connections in your in your conference. And so maybe on the sub-varsity level, you're playing schools of all different sizes. And then for varsity, you play a different district schedule. Is that accurate, kind of what you do in Arkansas as well? Or We're probably more like Texas. I think okay, they okay. Can say, here's our top 32, here's our next right. 32. And then they, by geography, roughly – but we we you know we've we know you have rivalries. We have three non-conference games, so a lot of times those will be traditional rivals. And then most of the time, you are relatively close geographically. Okay, interesting. And you know, you mentioned that you took the sabbatical. You kind of went into teaching coaches, and I had the honor of my last uh, my my last guest uh, was a guy that you know well, the defensive coordinator Manuel. And let's, let's, let's first of all just describe that project, and then we'll, you know I'll, I'll interject kind of you know my last guess and, and how he helped you uh, you know uh, develop that. Yeah, so we do a lot of academies. I'm guessing that's what you're kind of referring to. Yeah, Adam the, Harvey is who I'm, who I'm referring. Yeah, to. Yeah, I know yeah. Adam. He's a good dude. And so <laughs> yeah, uh, you know I first started just putting out materials, general coaching things, and it's kind of morphed into more than that because I started learning that unfortunately there's just not a lot of materials for coaches to get better. Right. You have a lot of coaches right. want to get better. There's just not a lot of materials out there for them to get better. So it's kind of led me to one of my passions, which is working with coaches and providing them support they may need. So Adam partnered with me on the Defensive Coordinator Academy. Yeah. Yeah. We have an Offensive Coordinator Academy as well. And I'm, of course, I'm building some other ones too. But essentially, the, the goal is a coach comes on there, you know, they get a, a workbook that is, hey, here's some examples and chapter by chapter of how you need to build your defense, but you fill it out. Like this is your your baby, you're doing it. We just want to be a support system. So Adam is one of our experts we had come on. Yeah, yeah. So we had, I had a guy for each section. So I can't remember which one Adam did, but we had like personnel, we had like blitzes, we had coverages. And so they designed their own, but then we bring on a guy who's really good in that world to kind of share what he does yeah. to give him ideas. And so that's, that was one of my favorite projects, uh, the defensive coordinator Academy. Uh, and then I've got the offensive one as well. I, I, to me, I think that's a project a coach can walk in and walk out of and have something actually useful instead of us just telling how we do it. They kind of were giving them ideas for how they can do it. I love it, man. Adam, I would have, I would have signed him up for my cover two section, man. He, he's, he's the master of that, man. Yeah. I think he did coverages. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I'm just curious, you know, cause I, another, another reason why I connected with you, you, you did come highly recommended by my good friend, Chris Fisher, you know, of yeah. the founder of Texas high school football, Chad. And I don't know, if you know, like he, Coach Fisher and I coached together for many years, both at Fort Bend Clements and Fort Bend Ridgepoint. And so he's a dear friend of mine. He's a team player podcast alum. And so he, he gave me a list of a couple guys, Adam Harvey and yourself included, said, Kobo, you got to get these guys on the show. And so when I was coaching and I finished in 2016, and now, like I said, I sell scoreboards, but I, I do broadcasting. I'm, I'm at a game three, three nights a weekend. I'm calling a game somewhere for, for our streaming services, but I wasn't too involved in Twitter and I feel like that was a big missed opportunity for me at the time. And now I'm starting to learn more and I'm seeing all of this idea sharing like guys like coach Fisher and yourself that it, I see these, like, you know, these chats going on, like coach Harvey's hosting a chat tonight uh, called the no fly zone. Right. So you can all a bunch of secondary guys and you can get together and talk coverage. But can you describe like how you got so heavily involved into the social networking and sharing of ideas aspect of, of coaching football? Sure. You know, I, Twitter is a great resource for a lot of coaches. Like you mentioned, I didn't realize there were so many coaches on it. Like I didn't, I just thought that that was what like politicians got on, you know, I didn't know yeah, sure. yeah. Hey, there's other stuff there. And like you mentioned with Chris, you know, I, I think the guys that want to connect and help other people and guys that want to learn, like I'm on there as much to learn as I am to help, you know, right. and I think that's kind of a way to do it. There's like you mentioned, there's multiple chats you can get in there's multiple people you can connect with um and then a lot of guys like i'll start i just try to post things that might help a coach whether that's a play or an idea or a, a here's a quote that may help you i know chris is the same i know adam is the same you know we're on there to try to 
give back to coaches that are maybe younger and coming up, or I'm there to learn from other coaches. And so it's a really good little community on there. Now there's like anything, anytime you get on there, there's going to be trolls and that's just part of social media. But if you can kind of ignore that part and really focus on the good guys that are out there that are trying to learn and work together, it can be a really, really good resource. What's your strategy there with trolls? I'm just curious. This is curious. Do you, do you ignore or do you engage? <laughs> no, I, I was taught by an old coach to, you know, when you wrestle with a pig, nobody wins and the pig enjoys getting muddy. So that's kind of my <laughs> mindset. You know, I tell my kids the same. It's like, you know, if somebody's on there, they really want to learn or they really want to find out why we're doing something, yeah. I will heavily engage them and help. But the minute you turn into – some kind of troll. You're not there to learn at this point. You're not there to to share ideas. You're there to try to gain attention. And yeah, I, I don't have time for that. Coach, that little story, that little saying is maybe the best one I've ever heard. That is your, that's 100% accurate too. <laughs> I, love, I, I love that, man. Now, you know, one thing you and I share in common, uh, I became a head coach relatively early as well. Not not quite as early as you. I was, thir- I was 30, I believe at the time, like maybe just about to turn I don't know. It was right around my 30th birthday. And I, I became a defensive coordinator at 25 at a, at a, you know, Ridgepoint, which is a pretty good school. You know, Coach Fisher and I were there together. Um, I feel like me personally, and obviously I, I'm no longer in the business. I, I had a rough go of it, you know, my two years as a head coach. And it wasn't so much even the football. It was the athletic coordinator piece of it. And I'm curious in your role, are, are you are you head football? Are you also a campus athletic coordinator? I guess that's my first question. Let's, let's unpack that portion. Do you also – uh, manage the other sports as well no I've actually because I knew what you're saying I was yeah. told by an old coach don't do that and so I was very yes. fortunate to avoid a lot of that so I've only taken jobs where they've not asked me to be the AD excellent and that's something for you know young coaches listening and consider that kind of stuff and I know that in Houston it's that's pretty much the standard operating procedure at the public schools you know the head football coach is the campus athletic coordinator most at least at the larger schools um man I I, I think it, I didn't realize how difficult it would be. I guess when you're a young coach ascending, you're thinking about, oh, I'm the defensive coordinator. I'm thinking about fronts and coverages and, you know, discipline, things just things pertaining to football. And so suddenly now you're managing other adults that all have their – I don't want to call it agenda because that makes that has a negative connotation, but they're fighting for their kids. You know, each of them is going to fight for their program and their kids. And so it's kind of a – in my experience, at least, there's a lot of infighting, you know, which I wasn't used to. And so even though I know you've kind of shied away from that, which I think is a good decision – you know, for your happiness and for you to focus on what you love doing. But do you have any other advice? I mean, even managing conflict on your staff, as far as managing people, adults, the kids part, I think all of us really love that. But sometimes the adults can make it, you know, more difficult. So any advice for young coaches listening from your experience on managing conflict between adults that, that you're that you're overseeing? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. The biggest jump in football coaching is not from position coach to coordinator it's not from junior high coach to senior high coach none of that when you go from being a coordinator to the head coach or ad whatever you say you now x's and o's has dropped to maybe fifth on your priority list where it was first and you probably got hired because you were good at that and you were good at kids those are not what you have to be good at to succeed as a head coach you got to be good at handling adults you got to be good at handling parents You'll be good at handling fundraising. Yeah. You'll be good at handling all this stuff that no one trains you for. And then, boom, that's what you're going to get judged on. And you also need to win. So you have all of that. Plus, you need to make sure schematically you're still good. So that's a lot of why I got into what I got into. I didn't know any of that stuff. I'm 27. Yep. You take the job. And then worst thing that could happen to me, I get coach of the year like my second year. So like oh, I'm 28 wow. yeah. and I've arrived, you know, I got it. I know what I'm doing. So we move to Batesville, Arkansas. I'm going to show these, you know, these rednecks out in Arkansas, yeah. what football is all about. And then I went 0 and 10 one year and oh, found out really yeah. quickly that maybe I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. And we've rebuilt and now we're in a, a stable, we're not where we want to be. We want to continue to ascend, but we're in a much better spot now, but that's really kind of the catalyst for why I started writing books towards coaches, started putting out materials towards coaches because, and and I know this because I sell a lot of books. I sell a lot of books about scheme 
And I try to warn coaches that's not what's going to get you hired or fired. Like it's not. Yes. You need to be buying these other books that talk about organization, talk about yes. dealing with conflict, talk about leading. But nobody gets that stuff because they don't understand how important it is until they're sitting in that seat. I could not agree with you more, Coach. I'm so glad you said that. I, I, a lot of times I'll get young um, coordinators kind of asking me like, hey, Kobo, like, you know, I'm about to going into the interview season, you know, what should I have in my packet, you know, and it, I think sometimes like the things they're focusing on is like, like I did, you know, the scheme. And I, I think if, if you can, and I see you nodding your head vigorously here, if you could just assert proficiency in the other things, I think you're really going to impress the interview panel. Correct. Correct. Yeah. When you're the head coach, nobody cares what front you run or if they do don't take that job because that guy's way too involved with it. You know, great point. They should be asking, yeah, they should be asking questions about how you're going to handle a budget. How are you going to handle parents? How are you going to handle coaches? How are you going to handle discipline? That's the stuff. If you have, you're solid in that honestly who cares what you run scheme wise and it, and if they are asking you a bunch of scheme questions as a superintendent or a board member run from that job as fast as possible and i'm so glad that you write these books about those topics because a lot of times you know i, I get the old you know the the, the emails of, of the uh you know the, the coaching books and they're, they're always oh the 46 defense and you know whatever whatever you know and we all love those books but i've never i guess i haven't seen as many books about managing coaches like the questions i'm asking you like managing the adults in the room and it sounds like you do off you offer that that curriculum and can you talk i do about i have a whole bundle my site yeah. is just fb coach simpson and i'm not here to sell books but if people are interested in them yeah uh, i have a whole head coaching bundle i have one on fundraising i have one on mistakes i've made as a i've got two on mistakes i've made as a coach i've made a bunch i got a head coach manual that you kind of walk through how to organize what you do and uh, try to produce those and if guys want them they can help them awesome you know i try to share from the mindset of here's mistakes i've made that maybe you can avoid because nobody's perfect but maybe i can help a guy steer away from some things that i didn't steer away from i i love that and i think that what getting on this show a lot of times we do talk about our failures too because th this is i think you know you said be wary of a, of a ad that's asking you all about scheme i think also be wary of people that just only paint themselves in this perfect light you know <laughs> we've all had failed. I mean, you're a great coach. You had no intense season. I've had no intense season. I'm, I'm not a great coach, but you know, I, I, my experience was I, I'm coming off being defensive coordinator at Fort Bend Ridge point. I'm young, hot shot, defensive coordinator. Kind of like you were describing, you know, when, when the awards were 12 and one, and suddenly I take my first job and we go two and eight. Now, granted, that was one of the most hard, <laughs> the hardest working for, to get two and eight. Uh, we did beat a playoff team in that run. So one of those two wins, we beat a playoff team. So that, that's what I always, my proudest moment, but the next year coach, Owen 10. And I felt like after I really blame myself, Let, let's get into this portion. As far as for a lot of coaches, maybe that have been used to success and suddenly you're, you're confronted a failure for the first time. How do you do that? I didn't do it. The, I didn't handle it the best way. I had also the stresses of, of not enjoying managing the other sports and feeling like this isn't me. Like I got here because like, I love being that linebackers coach defensive coordinator type guy good at the kids and now like i feel like i'm i have different hats you know i'm i'm doing different things that i don't like we're struggling i feel like i, I didn't deliver on what i was supposed to bring to this school and so i i blamed it on myself and felt like i wasn't good enough let's talk let's dive into that because i'm sure a lot of coaches can can relate to that when you start having those feelings of i'm not good enough you know what do I, what, what what is your experience after coming bouncing back from that 0 10 season yeah first of all know that everyone has that I mean, yeah. everybody has those thoughts at some point as a coach, whether you've never really had a losing, but everybody's had a loss, whether it's 10 in a row or yeah. one loss, whatever it is, where you look at yourself and you go, am I in the right career? Am I worthy of doing this? Right. And so that's normal. Uh, how you respond to that is 100% up to you. Sure. And I think a lot of that is how you set up your support system. You know, for me, that was a very miserable year. I, I'm not a big guy. You can you can see I'm not a real big guy to start with, but I lost like 20 pounds that year. Yeah, yeah. Got down to about 140. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have a lot of hair to start with. So a lot of that went, Yeah, you know, and then the rest turned gray. You know, so yeah. it's a very stressful time, especially if you've never gone through it. Right. So what you can't do is blame the kids. You know, and that was what was the struggle because, like, you know, I've done this same stuff and we've won before. Yes. And now I'm doing the same stuff and we're not winning. So the natural inclination is to start blaming whatever it is. It could be your situation, your admins not supporting you. It could be the officials. They're not 
the game's not being called right. It could be your assistant coaches. They're not doing what you're asking them to do. Or worse, it could be the players because they're not good enough to do what you want to do. And so that's – but unfortunately, that's what everyone does. That's what I went through. And you blame everybody else. And then eventually you realize, no, it's me. What do I need to do in this situation to get better? And then you have an option. You can quit. You can go to another school. You can take another career. Or you can start figuring out what works at your school because it's different at every school. I think a lot of guys, unfortunately, go from one school – to another school and they think what worked at this school is going to work at that school bingo that's not true at all you know you have to adapt and adjust and that's actually my first book is called find a way because we adopted that model probably about year two or three at the school i was at uh, and i knew it was going to be a building process like when i came here they were three years in a row losing so it wasn't like it was right. it should have been unexpected like <laughs> it should have been but i just you know to me you have to find a way to be successful where you are. And the first thing it starts with is stop making excuses and start trying to find answers. And uh, a lot of coaches aren't given that time. Their admin may not stand by them. You know, you go 0-10 or 2-8 and 8 or whatever, you may not have people that are going to stand by your side to let you get through that. So that's part of it. I fortunately had a group that let me get through that and push through. Um, you know, I think that's that's the deal is you got to start looking for answers and stop looking for excuses. I love that. You know, and I think, like you said, I, I and you know, the current coach at Aldean high school is a guy named Cirillo Ojeda. He was a good friend of mine. He's a team player podcast alum as well. And I just, I, I really root for him and I know he's doing a great job there. Cause I feel like he's just better prepared than I was. I, I did feel like I was too young and inexperienced. There's so many things I did not know. And I began learning on the job. And it's funny. I was talking to Adam Harvey about this. Some of the things I look back that I hated, now as an, a 39-year-old, part of me is like, man, I kind of want that challenge again. Now that I've, I've seen so many more things, I know so many more things. But at, at the time, I wasn't ready. And I didn't have those systems and processes in place to be able to withstand, like sustain it. You know, for my mental health, too, I mean, my physical, like I was like you, man. I aged rapidly in those two years. Uh, I was the opposite. I'm gaining weight <laughs> rather than losing it. Uh, hair was also spinning. So that that remains the same. But um any advice for that? Just just to sustain, like you said, you you had those little bit of health, you know, yeah. concerns. I mean, how do you sustain like your you know your wise and your personal life too, in, in, in those troubles? Yeah, you know, I'm fortunate to be married. You know, yeah. and I don't know why she stayed with me, but I really yeah. am glad that she did. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten a lot better in this. And and part of that was what I, we went through. You know, when you go, and I, I've said this a couple of times, I was able to speak at a couple of different events. You know, if as a coach, if you're living for the cheers of the crowd, then what's going to happen is you're going to die when they boo you. And they will boo you. They boo Nick Saban. And that guy's won like every game he's played in. So you need to make sure okay. that your support system is your spouse, the people that really care for you. Well, if you win or lose, they're still going to be with you. Because I can promise you right now, a lot of the people that we're putting our stake and our faith in, they'll turn on you in a heartbeat if things don't go well with their child or with the game or with right. whatever, that's life. You can't blame them for that. Like they have no vested interest in you. So make sure that you're putting your faith and your, you know, your, I guess your, what matters and who matters, which should be your family. If you have your faith, your faith, you know, whatever that is, that needs to be there. And then the second thing I'd say is make sure you separate who you are as a man from who you are as a coach. It's right. not the same. It's not the same. There are some successful coaches who are horrible people. That's just the truth. Yes. And there are some people that are not very good coaches that are great human beings. And they can be very different. I'd rather be a great human and a sucky coach than yeah. a great coach and a sucky human any day of the week. Man, Coach, I, I love talking about this because, I mean, you, you've done both. You've, you've been in winning programs. You've been in 0-10. You know, and I, I've had the similar experience. And I think so many times the things that we gravitate towards that, you know, in our clinics or whatever is we want to see who won state. And let's talk to that guy about what he's running on offense, defense, you know, and that's great and all, but we all know, like you said, every school is different. And I, you know, half of us as coaches, we're winning and there's, there's a big portion of us that are losing. And I think we should create content for those coaches too, because they're the ones with the most room for improvement. Right. And like, I like what you said so much. And at the same time, one thing that I had a problem with coming in is, there's also really good coaches at places that are losing. Yes. I yes. think when I was an assistant as part of good programs, we go out and scout and you'd see a team that was really struggling. You're just like, man, 
what are these guys doing? You know, how could this be? You know, this is, just, you know, and you don't understand until you're in it at one of those programs, how difficult sometimes it is when you have kids that are, are new to the, the game or maybe they're missing practice because of things going on off the field and all those kinds of things. So that, that aspect of it, if you're an assistant, you're probably coming from a winning program if you're being considered to become a head coach. Going into that process of coming into a school to kind of like a rebuild, like what you did, what advice would you give those coaches to prepare themselves on those that first 30 days? Like what what advice is on, on their mentality, their mindset should should they have coming into, into a program like that? Well, one is always going to always be about relationships and trying to build relationships with the kids, but not just the kids. You need to find out who I call them alphas. You know, it could be a male or females. I don't think it's a male, but who runs the town, who runs the school, who runs your team. Yeah, There are always natural leaders and whether you like it or not, they run it. So you need to make sure there's a relationship there where that you guys have a mutual kind of following there where hey, we're, we're in this together work hard to make that relationship second thing i'd say is you need to figure out what your kids can do you know and try to really hide what they can't do you've you've been around long enough that we understand that i, I like what you said about there are really good coaches that are going 500 because if that coach leaves that school's going over and yeah. so this past year Southside, we went six and four most schools be like eh, six and four well, we were the smallest school in 5A and yep. realistically probably should have won two to three games. Yep. We felt as a staff we had got about the most. Now, would I love to win seven, eight, nine games? Of course, and I'm driven to do that next year. That's what a coach does. But you also need to realistically look at what the ceiling of your kids is. You know, a lot of great coaches aren't really great coaches. They're great recruiters or they're in great situations. Mm -hmm. You know, what can you do with your kids realistically to get where they want to go? And, and I, I think that's what you have to kind of have that mindset, understand that no parent is realistic. So that's not a good scale to go with. Look at your kids, look at who you're playing and figure out what games realistically can we win with this team? Where can we go? Maybe that is a state championship run at your school. Maybe that's making the playoffs. Maybe that's winning the conference. Maybe that's not having a losing season. And set those goals and then work towards how can we accomplish that. Set your scheme to match that. I've got a one last question on this, on the transition process. And it's something I don't really have the answer to. And I'm really curious your opinion on this. A buzzword is change the culture, right? And change the culture yeah. for anytime you're a new coach. You, you know, that's why you're hired to come in and change the culture. And when I came in as a head coach, that was my mentality. It, honestly, looking back on, I'm kind of ashamed of this, but I mean, I kind of looked down on what was there before and thought I was like you said I was going to come in bring in what we did at Ridgepoint and it was going to suddenly magically get better as I've grown older I kind of think that I, I definitely wouldn't do it the same way I, I I feel like sometimes when you when you talk about changing the culture like you may sublim subliminally tell those kids what they were doing before was bad or wrong maybe it was maybe it wasn't but I'm just curious about that aspect of it. I'm curious your opinion is is it when you come into a new place should it be like a total we're changing it. Everything needs to change, change, change. Or is it kind of like paying some kind of homage that there were good things going on before? I'm just curious that balance. Cause I think that's something I watch coaches balance today. And I'm curious your thoughts on it. It is a balance. I mean, it's definitely a balance, but and I'd also say this, like if you went in somewhere in one year, you didn't change the culture. I mean, you might've motivated some kids and had some talent there and figured out a better way to use that talent. Yeah. And But you didn't culture takes 10 years, five, 10 years to really develop. That's, right. that's right. your culture. You know, can you go into somewhere and motivate people better than they were being motivated or use them better than they were being used? Absolutely. And I don't know if you call that culture or not, you know, to me, to me, the goal as a coach should be to use your players in the best way possible to give them a chance to succeed individually and give your team a chance to succeed. And if you can get kids to buy into that, Okay. That's the only culture I know of. I don't know about, I can't change the culture of poverty ridden area. You can't change that. Can you change the culture of, Hey, we can get people that are part of our team to buy into the fact that we're going to work towards individually, what we, we can do best to help our team, you know, and that ultimately that's what it is. And if you can do other things along the way, that's really cool, but that's going to take a long time. 
No, loved. I totally agree. Totally agree with you 100% on that. And, you know, coach, as we kind of get towards the end of the program, we always like to just talk about, you know, fandom and things of that nature. And now I know why I like the Miami Dolphins. I didn't realize you spent your formative years in Florida. So I am rocking my 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 uh, teal uh, Zach Thomas jersey here. One of my prized possessions, honestly. It's one of my favorite in my collection. I've got way too many. But I justify to my wife, that is my one hobby, okay? Like I always tell her, I don't, I don't hunt or fish or cars. I don't have any other hobby other than this, but I spent too much money on it, Coach, <laughs> to be honest. But uh, I love Zach Thomas. He's a Texan. You know, he te- went to Texas Tech. And I love the undersized kind of guy that just always performed at a high level. So, we, we're go- you know, I know you're – can you just kind of describe, like, just for the listeners, it's your, your Dolphins fandom and just some of your memories of it? Sure. I have an unhealthy relationship with the Dolphins. Like, I, okay. So you're you know, a Superman. Okay. I love it. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I've followed them since I was a kid. First of all, Zach Thomas is the biggest hall of fame snub in NFL history, in my opinion. So I, we'll start off with that. I'm a huge Dan Marino fan. That was kind of my formative years. I missed out on all the Super Bowls, yeah. but I did get to see the Marino where we would make the playoffs every year. Uh, and then we had, you know, then we had Jimmy Johnson come in, had Zach Thomas, Jason mm-hmm. Taylor, all, Sam Addison, all those guys on defense that were really good. That was fun to watch. And then my poor son was born. He's 15. I've got a 17-year-old girl and a 15-year-old boy and a 10-year-old boy. So they've missed out on any good Dolphin. You know, this this is the best playoff run they've ever seen this year. Sure. We didn't get blown out when we made it. So, you know, they've been through that dry spell. We've got a lot of faith, hopefully, in what we're doing here. But I tell a lot of people my wife knows that I'm loyal because I've stuck with the Dolphins for the last – Love that. Since we've been married and they've let me down about every year. So hopefully we'll kind of get going where we're we're moving, I hope, the right direction. I love when you told me Dolphins, I I got a big smile on my face because I've honestly I've never met a Dolphins fan. <laughs> and I love that. Because so many times you hear Cowboys, Ravens, you know, 49ers, like people kind of gravitate towards winners a lot of times if it's not their hometown team. And I, I get it, but I'm with you, coach. My team. I'm a Detroit Lions fan. Hey, they're getting better. A- Amen. And I, to me, that's the fun of it is being there in the bad times. And like this, this beating Green Bay on Monday Night Football, that was just beautiful, man. And I mean, the, I'm a big those Dan are Campbell fan. You know, he's a Dolphin. He's a former that's, Dolphin yep. coach. That's right. So let's just, just briefly, and we don't, this isn't like a first take or anything, but I'm just curious your state of the Dolphins. You know, obviously, you know how it is, just like head coaches get too much blame, too much credit. Same thing applies to quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious your opinion. On Tua, right? High-profile quarterback. Do you, do you feel like he is the future of the program? Or obviously, you know, Skylar Thompson came in and played really well against the Bills in a playoff. I'm just curious because that's always the buzz question, right? So not to put you on the spot, but your thoughts on, on Tua, uh, Tagovailoa, and, and him leading the team? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm a huge fan of the person that Tua yeah. is. Like, I think he's a great leader. I think he's a guy that people want to play hard for. I think he's super accurate. I think that he's got to prove he can stay healthy. But I'll say this. You're in cowboy land. Yeah. I would much rather have Tua than Dak Prescott right now if you kind of gave me that option. You know, so I think Tua is a guy that, yeah, can you win with him? Clearly. Miami was winning all kinds of games with him. Can he stay healthy? You know, and that's that's going to be the big question for him. I think if he can stay healthy next year and play at the same level he was playing, man, you got your dude. You know, I've been through some horrible quarterbacks in Miami. Tua's pretty yeah. good. You know, yeah. but – can he stay healthy? Because if not, then we feel like we're just rinse and repeat the same search for quarterback cycle. Uh, but I'm a big Tua fan. I like how he plays. He's limited, you know, but I think he can win. And, you know, you're you're obviously – you're a huge X's and O's guy. I mean, obviously, of all the, all the material you're putting out. And I think the Dolphins, to me, are an intriguing offense, you know. And yeah. just the whole Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, that whole tree of what they do. It just seems incredibly creative to me. And I guess, honestly, if I'm looking at like, that play is not that comp. It's very simple, but they just do such a great job of so much motion and so many different looks to get their ball quickly to their best players. And also in the run game. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah. You're, can you just, for, for us fans listening, just from your trained eye, what are you seeing with that offense? I, I love it. Yeah, one of, I actually wrote a book a long time ago called One Play Many Ways, which basically the idea yep, of, yep, hey, yep. Let's run this one play and present it to the defense in all kinds of ways. Yeah. And I think that's the Dolphins offense, 49ers offense, all that. Now they have some unique wrinkles that you can do because you're professional and they can, you know, do different things. But I think that's what makes them special. They're running the same RPO, but they're presenting it to the defense three or four ways. I also think that 
McDaniel 49ers do it too. They design their run game so much better than the rest of the NFL. Everybody else just runs outside zone, inside zone, maybe some ISO. In Miami's offensive line was not very good, but McDaniel was able to kind of do some pin and pull stuff, some trap yes. stuff, stuff that you don't see at that level. And it's crazy how simple that is. It's it's not rocket science, right? I mean, I remember high school football, we ran 30 trap all the time. It was one of my favorite plays, and it kind of went away for a while. And now, you know, teams, I mean, it's just amazing just the gashes that got Raheem Mostert just flying through this giant hole. And I'm just like, man, how do they get to the second level so fast? But really cool. And it, it, it spurred a question for me, coach. And the only reason I, I asked so many questions about the, the 0-10 season is, because again, I feel like a lot of coaches listening are in those positions. You and I have both been there. We've had good times too. We've been there. When you're really struggling, my question being scheme-wise on offense, do because, you know, I always think of the service academies, how they go to the option, right? And they all they all kind of run the option. Do you feel like if you're a team that, that's struggling maybe athletically and you're, you're outmatched, do, do you like going towards, I don't want to call it, I don't want to call it a gimmick offense, but just like a, a less common offense so that that opponent has to prepare for you? I'm, I'm just curious your thoughts on that, or do you just kind of stick to more of a traditional? I know, I know you're always going to do what's best for the kids, but my question is like if you're at a place where you're a big talent disadvantage, what's your thoughts on going towards a, a, you know, a less common scheme? I think you better do that. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, uh, to me, you better do something that's yeah. going to give your kids an opportunity. And that, that may be flex bone. That might yeah. be, you know, we run, we call the gun T. So it's a shotgun wing T flavor. Okay. Um, yeah. But it gives us the ability to kind of throw something at you. You ain't seen in a while or something you're uncomfortable with. And uh, but I think as coaches, would you rather lose in the spread or would you rather win and maybe an unorthodox way and, my answer has always been, I want to win whatever way that is. I love that, man. I, I love that. I, I, I'm i glad I posed that question. I couldn't agree with you more. That was the answer that's, that I have. And so, man, I, if you put out – do you have a book on that? Because, honestly, that, that's what I would like to see. Oh, is yeah. like, I would like to – I've always want. I always – I should have – I wish I knew you when I was coaching because I've always wanted to see more advice from coaches on, like, what do you – what can you do schematically when you're, when you're in an athlete disadvantage? And so you have a book like that. Right. That that is yeah, I actually have a full yeah. system. Actually, yeah. yeah, it's kind of neat. I get to travel around. I'm going to San Diego here tomorrow to work with some schools, and you know, we call it the gun tee, but it's the shotgun wing tee, and it's got some kind of RPO stuff. So it's blending, I hope, the best of the wing tee with the best of the spread. And so a lot of coaches kind of gravitate towards that because it gives you an opportunity to be successful. And I know I know you're you're so humble, you don't want to pitch your side or anything, but that to me that coupled with the management those are the book books my my listeners need to buy or look into so what where would they go for that sure it's a, just fbcoachsimpson.com i've got all the there's a ton of stuff on there there's some free stuff you know we do a free magazine called headsets and so there's free stuff on there there's you can get a book you can go all the way to where you pay to fly me in like some people are doing yeah. so whatever you want to do all right and i'll definitely put that in the show notes as well and the last thing coach we always put you on the hot seat. I gave, I did give you fair warning, so you've had time to think about this. I, I think I can guess at least three of who you're going to say here. I think I know three of them. But okay. if you had to do your coach Kenny Simpson, Miami Dolphins, Mount Rushmore. So Mount Rushmore, of course, your four, your top four of all time. Not necessarily your favorite. It's it's your Mount Rushmore. So just if if you could make the Mount Rushmore, who would be your all time uh, Miami Dolphins Mount Rushmore? Sure. Well, I've got to put a caveat because remember, I wasn't around during the guys that made the run. So Absolutely. like I'm not putting any of them on there. It's sure. not because they don't deserve to be on there. Yep. I've watched the footage. I think if you did an all time one, you'd have to have Zonka, Zonka. and Larry yeah. Little and, and you'd have to have Greasy. I didn't get to watch them play. So sure. I've kind of disqualified. Them. Absolutely. So if they're listening. I don't know if they're going to listen, but <laughs> don't get offended by me. Older guys. Clearly, sure. y'all would be up there. Yep. So I'm going to start with the guys that I watched play. Marino's on there, number one. Absolutely. I think I think that is the most underrated quarterback in the NFL. If he was playing right now, he'd throw for 7,000 yards. You know, so yes. I got Marino, number one. He's first one up there. The guy's jersey you're wearing is number two for me. Love it. Yeah. He's a Hall of Famer. Yep. He's getting screwed. I think the guy is one of the best ever. So Zach Thomas is number two. Jason Taylor, who is an Hall of Famer, rightfully so. Okay, he's yep. number three. That's the three and that I guess, four, by the way. became tough for me. Yeah. You, okay. That was so my those three. three <laughs> those are your 90s. Yeah. Okay. So your fourth one kind of became tough because who's this guy going to be? Who's the next one? Man, I, 
and I had I kind of narrowed it down uh, to two or three guys. You know, I, I think you have some potential guys that didn't quite make it for me. So I'm going to give you that list before I get off here. But I love you know, Tyreek yeah. Hill could become that guy. Jay Otto could be that guy. Tua Tungalova could become that guy. Those guys are all kind of could be that guy. Okay, but the guy that I think should have been on there uh, was Sam Madison. It was a corner. He yep. actually is coaching for the Dolphins right now. I thought him mixed with Patrick Sertain, both those two guys. So you could almost, if I could put both of them on there, I would. But I was a huge Sam Madison fan back in the day. I thought when we had good defenses, he was that next guy. Couple, couple guys I want to just ask you about, just from my 90s fandom, just to get your take on it. Because I, I can tell you really know all these guys. I remember Richmond Webb. I, I love Richmond Webb. The yeah. big old left tackle, right? I mean, I, I, that, he was just – I always remember him. Receivers Keith wide. Sims right next to him. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Keith Sims was right next to Keith, him. Both yep. those guys were dudes. Yeah. And then I, I feel like O.J. McDuffie and Irving Fryer just kind of pop into my head as, as targets yes. <laughs> for Marino. McDuffie's a good one. You know, and, and Irving Fryer, he just was so late. You know, and then you also could have put Chris Chambers potentially up there. He was a good one for us. Keith Jackson, I, tight end. Yep, yep. And then one more guy that I just, I just remember, and uh, Brian Cox. Oh yeah, he. I just remember that big old neck roll thing that he had, and then he was with y'all first, right? And then went to the Bears and kind of slowed down, right? Or was it the? Yeah, opposite? he did a little bit, and then yeah. you know. And what's funny is I've got on my kid. I have two kids that play with the horse collar, and yeah. I just call yeah. him Brian Cox. That's all I call him, you know, because they, that's what they remind me of. Absolutely. Well, man, I, I I'm pulling for you, man. I I like seeing the Dolphins being good. It's just um, and, and the AFC East is it's been re, kind of reconstructed, you know. We're it's so open. Free. If Tua stays healthy, it's open. Yeah, no doubt about it, Coach. Man, if if y'all enjoyed this uh this this episode as much as I did, again, please take that moment, give us a five star rating that drives up the charts, so more people will find our show when they search for a sports podcast. Hit the follow button to subscribe and hear new episodes as soon as they come out each week. And follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K O V O. You can hit us up at Team Player Podcast at Gmail and we take recommendations. So many of my guests have just it's word of mouth. And I, that's how I want to grow this, you know, just just uh, like-minded people coming together to talk sports. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast are provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr, and our intro and exit music is One More Good Enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Coach Kenny Simpson, thanks so much for coming on the show. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks for all the team players out there for your support, and we'll catch you all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy 